Hey everybody, this is Michael Stiles. Welcome to a special episode of the Good Brew Podcast. This is actually our first roast and grind episode. These are what we are calling our question and discussion episodes. You guys have asked questions and we want to talk about it. We want to discuss them and see if uh, we can't provide some clarity on your questions and go from there. And we wanted to keep the coffee theme in there, so we figured, you know what, when you roast beans, you got to use heat and movement. So these questions have generated some heat in your minds and in our minds. and They've caused your brains to move a little bit. And when you grind beans, you really try and bring out the best flavors. So we want to bring out all the best flavors of what we talk about that you've asked questions on. So a little, uh, little play on words there. So if this is your first time listening to the Good Brew Podcast today, welcome. We're going to do something a little bit differently. Normally what we like to do is kind of introduce everybody around the table and talk about what we're drinking. We like to drink coffee here. If you've been following us, you know that. We like to talk about what we're drinking. Maybe Jordan makes up a coffee fact, and uh, then we just talk about how he's wrong. Um, just kidding. We love you, Jordan. But uh, we're not really going to do that on these roasts and grinds. These are more just specifically focused on your questions. We are drinking coffee, but we're not going to get into the specifics of it. So yes, we are sitting uh, at the table. We've got Justin. Hey, guys. Jordan. What up? And Philip. Hello. So... The first question that we have here is from Denver. He's actually got two questions for us, but they're both from the same episode that's the same general topic, so we're going to throw both of them at us. And these questions come from our Act 2 on the fall, and these are questions regarding the snake. The first question is, what was all the talk about Egypt and the snake as Adam and Eve had never been to Egypt at that point? Um, Anybody have any thoughts on that? My thought is the author or authors of Genesis would be writing these accounts in retrospect. So this is yeah. Moses and the, is the original Israelite community right? Um, who had already been out of Egypt, and so they're pulling together their origin stories, and they're retelling those stories in light of the experience they've had thus far. That's probably in there somehow. So Yeah, that's what we're thinking. Like, the snake making Pharaoh tones isn't or symbolism isn't from, like, Adam Eve's perspective. It's from, yeah... The original audience who has been to Egypt right. and back. By the, the perspective time. of the original authors, which would have been um, leading or influenced by the original audience, which were the, the nation of Israel. And maybe it wouldn't have been the nation of Israel at that point, more the people of Israel, because they didn't they didn't yeah. have kings yet or anything like that. I mean What Justin, do you know when was at what point of Israel's history was Genesis they know when, like when Genesis finalized? Is it post kingdom or is this like Oh, yeah. I mean, I think most would even say there was an editing process all the way up until even during the exile or even... Okay. But but we know that from places like in Deuteronomy, and I know that's not specifically Genesis, and I can't think of a Genesis example, but I'm not an expert. But I know, for example, in Deuteronomy, which was is a part of the Torah, there will be comments that we know were from an editing process, for example, that say like in Deuteronomy, you know, where, where a promise is made that there'll be a prophet rise up like Moses, and then it said there hasn't been a prophet like Moses even until this day. Right. So it's, it's, And Moses clearly isn't saying that about himself. Right. right. They're reflecting on... They're reflecting back yeah. on the tradition, yeah. So when do you think maybe like the Genesis account would have maybe have been written? Well, it would have been, oral, it would have been orally said through the, through the ages. Yeah, sure. so, so you keep in mind with the, I guess, with the Genesis account, you're dealing with different stories, um, sure. especially with the stuff from... I think it's really hard to say with the stuff from especially Genesis 1 to 11, where you're dealing with... Prior to uh, the story of Abraham, which is 
what we're dealing with here with Adam and Eve, obviously. Well, here's a question. Maybe it wasn't always a snake. Maybe, who knows? It could have gotten flipped to a snake when they came out of Egypt because that was what they epitomized as like ultimate evil was Pharaoh and the image of yeah, snake. But the, it could fig, have been a but snake. But the figure of the snake, of what it represented, still is the same. Exactly. So the animal that they attribute it to may have been something else. And we don't well, know. It's it hypothetical. I mean, exactly. But I mean, even, even in other cultures. Uh, yeah, even in other cultures, I think snakes are seen as yeah, sinister bad. and bad. Which, sneaky, which lean, sneaky little snakes. Sneaky little <laughs> snakes. Which would lean towards interpretation of it may have always been a snake of the garden. And, and yeah. yeah. Which... Actually, leading into his second question, uh, Denver said, I noticed that somebody mentioned in that episode, I can't remember who, which one of it was, but there's a 25% chance it was one of us. <laughs> it, it, 25% chance that it was yes. you. His second question related to that, he says, in that same episode, someone mentioned the snake not being Satan. If it wasn't Satan, then who was it? I think that was me. And if I said anything like that, I think what I was saying was, at the time for the original hearers, it wasn't the fully developed right. concept of Satan or the enemy or the accuser that we have. So it doesn't mean that it wasn't, but it also doesn't mean it was what we have the full understanding of. Yeah, exactly. So like in Job, this is totally separate. The Bible Project talks about how first chapter Job, the 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 accusing voice in the throne room of God is the same traditionally conceived of as the Satan, mm-hmm. when in reality, right, it's just another opinion in well, God's courtroom. Because Satan is actually a title for a lot of times I've heard the accuser, but it more means the opposition or the, the one who stands the opposer, yeah. the opposer. Because actually, I that's what Lucifer meant. Lucifer's uh, Latin, right? I think that comes from the. I think it is Latin, yeah. Latin for Satan, didn't it? Um, or Morning Star. Morning Star. Yeah. Which is actually... Which is from Isaiah? Isaiah, mm-hmm. which... Yeah. Lucifer's Latin also, for Morning Star. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the opposer. And so like you're saying in Job, like it's not a character that is like doing anything evil. He's just opposing... Like The Bible Project brings up the point of like, have you ever thought about it from this angle? And actually, I think that Michael the Archangel is actually called the Satan... Um, at one point when he's opposing what David's trying to do. So we see that it's not necessarily an evil title. I mean, Peter is called Satan. The opposer. Yeah. Get behind yeah. me, Satan. Right. And, and, and you're, you're standing against. Yeah. Yeah. But so, now that is not to say, I do want to be careful here, because it's not to say there is not a figure who is real that is... Opposing yeah, that is the purposes a, of God. Yeah, and even like there's not a single individual who is perhaps the... Um, I don't want to dignify him enough with a proper name, but if which the Bible doesn't, no. But in Revelation specifically, you are told the the figure that is called the dragon is called that ancient serpent, the one of from old. So there is the, you know, it seems to be that Scripture does talk about a figure, yeah, a a, a figure that is actually overthrown and done away with. At the yeah, end and that, story, that that did story. that is responsible for uh, leading. Eve and the resulting humanity astray. So I don't want to. So the opposer, in that sense, yeah, it's the same category as the Job character. Yeah, but yeah, and, and and we know from other places that that this figure sought to elevate himself above the throne of God. Sure. When you look at the whole, for I think a very orthodox belief in a figure, call him Satan, call him the devil, call him the evil, the prince of darkness, whatever he's called, and not 
talking about Ozzy, but you know. Uh, but what I think in Isaiah, what's it talk about? I saw the figure fall, like. Um, yeah. So that but isn't that in reference? Isn't that poetic? He's talking about Babylon in that poem, isn't he? It depends on who you ask. Um, we we don't see it as much. We don't talk about it as much. Yes, on one hand. Well, the and then the deeper thing going on underneath Babylon is that. Well, the going? idea that in the ancient world that celestial bodies represented deities and the idea that there is a divine council and that there was a rebellion in heaven and that Satan fell from heaven. So these are, especially in the second temple period of Judaism, that was very much on their minds. And this is when, you know, during the exile and all that. But when Jesus says, I saw saw the Satan, our Bible says Satan, but it's actually the Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know the context of that passage, and we'd have to look it up if we wanted to, but is he, in any way in that context, referring to something Babylonish? Babylonish, I like that. I would, would, he's probably, just because Jesus had an eye for what was lurking behind it all, I mean, he was probably bearing witness to, like, the ultimate um, reality. But that's what I mean. Is he referring to something on the surface that's Babylon, but underneath, he's obviously talking about the ultimate reality? I don't know the context of the text. Maybe, maybe the hearers would have associated the Babylon thing at first, but clearly Jesus meant something deeper than that. Yeah, I think Jesus is uh, illuminating the reality of the celestial realm that they would have had in their minds, and that the thing that the entity or being that fell from heaven was, you know, we could say that maybe the chief mm-hmm. celestial being that yep. influenced and corralled all the what we would say are demons and that kind of thing that are fallen, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not an expert in this area, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just... But listen for, to the Bible Project episodes on celestial beings. And, oh, yeah. And I think Exploring helpful. My Strange Bible, Tim Mackey has a really good episode on, I think, this question. But, yeah, to kind of answer your question more on paper, like, exactly what we meant, it's like what Philip said earlier. It's more of a title. So it's we are talking about the same character, but in that specific context that Philip talked about in episode two... The Bible doesn't actually give him a name. Even though our English Bibles translate it with capital S, Satan, the Hebrew and what Jesus and the Greek New Testament authors would have picked up on, the Hebrew is actually a title. It's the Satan. It's the opposer. Who? Yeah, and he doesn't have a name because yeah. he doesn't need that much respect and dignity. Yeah. And he opposes God's plans. He, yeah. Opposition of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... All right, so our next question comes from Eric, and this is more along the lines of our conversation about the gospel back in episode four. And he says, if a prayer of salvation isn't actually mandated by Scripture, and we're no longer required to give offerings, you know, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrificial offerings, that kind of thing, to the Lord, how exactly do we come to salvation, and how do we know that we have actually come to Christ? What is the dividing line between being saved and being lost? So in the question, I think Eric is illuminating to a category. Essentially, if it's not about a prayer, which is something you would do, right. and it's not about burnt offerings, which is something that you would do, mm-hmm. what does it even mean to be saved? So the, the assumption there is that you need to do something to be saved. So if it isn't A and B, yeah, what is it? That's what I'm interpreting. Yeah, I think question. that's exactly along the lines. I mean, I would. I mean, this may seem trite. I think uh, faith is the non-work, right? Like biblically speaking, like it's. I would say that it wouldn't be in the category of saying a prayer, even though you could offer the prayer in faith. So it's not the prayer that saves you; it's the fact that you're offering it in faith. Right. Faith is the thing that. 
the glue. Unlocks, unlocks the key. Mm. Um, I think that you may have said that in that episode. Yeah. Something about that. Yeah, that, yeah my faith. answer would be f- faith is the third option that is not in the same category as a prayer and burnt offering. It, in the act itself, maybe I'm wrong. Isn't that kind of something that you do, though? What? Have faith. You like choose to have That's faith. a philosophical question. I mean, can well, I mean, you, do you, uh, is it a, is it the same you know, thing as, uh, I mean, we, we're like getting tell into. tell people like, just have faith. It's like, that's something that you do. Yeah. Well, there's a whole system of theological, uh, you know, that would say that as human beings, if you're of the more reformed stream, we cannot actually generate mm. faith. Like that is the direct result of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. Which everybody historic Christianity would affirm that. Yeah, the question is whether the provenient grace in the more not reformed tradition would. Everybody's going to say God takes the initiative, mm-hmm. but so, it's has He taken the initiative and just given everyone a little bit of the faith uh, grace pie so that they can? <laughs> I don't know. Do what they want with it. Do what they want with it, or God's provenient is it, grace? Yeah, yeah. But I think maybe to add two cents to this conversation. Um, there's nothing, again, wrong, and I think we mentioned this in the episode, there's nothing wrong with the prayer itself. The problem is, in many circles, the prayer has become a ritual that's been separated from, even though it wouldn't never be expressed this way, but separated from faith. Right. So you say this prayer, and that's like magic formula. When the prayer itself, nothing's right. inherently wrong with it. It's just if it's put in place... Of a true save, like a heart cry that's crying out to God. I mean, if you look, look at the Psalms, look at other places in Scripture where the prayer of faith. There is, there's examples of people praying in faith. There's examples of it all through Scripture. But the key thing there is that it's a genuine heart right. cry to God to rescue you. And I think that's the the key thing there. It's not necessarily the formula because I mean, you know, we have. In, in different circles, different prayers that are mm-hmm. kind of scripted and and it's fine. It's it can be a good, it can be a useful tool to help some people and lead them through. How do I express what is happening? Right. What sure. I want, like what's going on, what I want. Well, to yeah. I think to the God. heart of the question was less about the prayer, as more of I think the back half of the question was what was the dividing, what's the dividing line between being saved and being lost? And Faith. I know, yeah, but I think a lot of people, I know, I personally know a lot of people. That and I kind of struggled with this for a while. That have faith in Jesus, but still kind of have this like unwavering unsure feeling. feeling. Yeah, yeah, unsure same. feeling. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, so okay. So I guess there's three ways to. Uh, yeah, okay. So okay. So are you are you saying? And I know you didn't ask the question, but maybe Eric's asking from which perspective? So from God's perspective, what's the dividing line? Faith in Christ. Period. From God's eyes, the dividing line between mm-hmm. saved and unsaved. Faith in Christ. From the perspective. I was just saying, yeah, I think that's what he meant. Okay, right. So from that perspective, but then maybe from what if we say, but as you know, as we look at, there's maybe three ways to look at this. As we look at others, what is the dividing line between saved and lost? And really, Jesus's answer there is fruit. You'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. And then if you want to turn it in and ask yourself the question, that would be maybe looking at the Gospel of, or First John. How how will you know? Well, you know basically. If there's, are you continuing in sin? Mm-hmm. Or is there, is there, is there? No, but people, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm one of these people, and I think throughout the last couple years of my life, I've been able to kind of resolve this in my head. But 
the thing with sin is it's like, but if I sinned yesterday, did it, did I like reset my my mm-hmm. division between saved and lost back to zero? And I would say no. Like that's well, not there's how it works. That, yeah, there's not a scale of it's either yeah you're in or you're out. And now that whole and a different question. I don't think this is what he's asking. It is about you know the security of the believer. I don't think that's what he's asking. But that's another conversation. Yeah. But the question as far as even in First John, like if you say you have no sin, then you are a liar. <laughs> so right. yeah, I mean, this is the question of justification and, and sanctification. As a person who has come to a point of exercising saving faith, in other words, you have experienced what Jesus calls the new birth, you are justified, you are declared to be in the right, you are declared to be in God's family, you are in the people of God. That does not mean, though, that there's not a process of growth and sanctification. Is Maybe an example of looking at it, this is like really watering it down, but let's say you've made a basketball team. So you've made the team, but like you've got a lot of work to go before like you become like the best basketball. This is a weak analogy, I get that, but it's the idea of like you're on the team, but your coach is now trying to help you become a better basketball player. So like you're on the Jesus team and he's just trying to help you become more and more like him in his image. So what about like to what? <laughs> so the championship is the new creation. Exactly. It's like if we gonna get there, but, you gotta play. <laughs> but the issue is, you already know you've won the championship. Yeah, that that falls apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, well, what were you gonna say, Jordan? I was just gonna say. So, what about like what you were saying earlier? If like you're unsure if you made the team, I think you just have to rest in the you confidence. Have a jersey? I mean, on on you an actual rest team, the, it'd be easier to tell. I think it's resting the confidence, knowing you've made the team. Like you've yeah, made the yeah. team. Like, yeah. but you, I mean, like what you were saying, like you know, the whole continuing and sin part, like. Well, well, you're gonna let's uh, let's continue. You know, what let's if continue that the didn't bad really like count or wasn't like really real or that okay? Kind of so thing. for with the analogy, it's like to be the best basketball player, you wouldn't miss a shot, right? But you're gonna miss shots. Like you're not gonna be the best player, but you're trying to get better. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> sort of depart from that analogy just for a second. <laughs> Man, come on, okay. I mean, I'm just saying it's bad. I'm, it's I, just, bad. I just have I have a, a maybe something here that might help. So. He's going to go with soccer. No, 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 I'm not. But um, Tennis. That's your sport. No. I'll say this, though. When people wrestle through the question of assurances of salvation, most of the time, or at least often, I'll say, I've heard people encouraged to think back to a moment in their past when they made a decision, right? You, okay. may, you may have been told this before, like, hey, how do I know I am truly a Christian? How do I truly know I'm saved? And then often you'll hear it say, well, think back. When did you make that decision? Were you at nine? Were you 16? Whatever. And I don't think that's the most helpful thing. I'm not saying that there's not value in thinking back to pillar moments in your life where God really did something special and and you can hold to those. But I think the question the New Testament wants you to ask is, who do you trust today? Like, Mm. where is your trust right now? The decisions you're making in your life currently, who are you clinging to in the present? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And that's you know that is all wrapped up in the the discussion of sin too. Are you continuing in sin in the present? Because if you are, you may be saved, but you're probably not going to be very sure of it because you're not living like you are. Now I'm not saying you you're not. I'm just saying that you probably won't have sure. very much assurance of your salvation if you're going on in sin. You know? Yeah. I found it helpful because the truth is, full disclosure, man, I I struggled with assurance most of my life up until really like five years ago. Mm. And I think for me, this is how I've answered the question is like, 
when I think about who I was five years ago, is there evidence of growth, my, growth in my life based on the person yeah. I was five years ago? And I think that's, that's kind of part of it. It's, I think the fruit piece is really important and being in community for people to like say, yeah, like, yeah, you're a totally different person. Or I've really mm. noticed like, yeah. you know, you've really grown in this area. You need, you need that external feedback because other, I mean, especially in the West where we're so individualistic and, you know, self-loathing is a you know big part of our experience in, in the West. Yep. And so I really actually wouldn't, Put a whole lot of stock on what you think about your own assurance. Yeah, it's not a hundred percent a pie graph. You know, it's not a hundred percent what you think about it. It's like you really need the feedback of the community you're in. Well, I've always and, heard it said too. Like, and I think this makes a good point. If you are wondering it, you probably then are. You, you probably <laughs> are. Like, you know, like if you're wondering, like, am I good with Jesus? Like, you believe Jesus? Yeah. Is, like, if you care enough. Let me, Exactly. To care about Let it. me just read like a couple of verses yeah, exactly. here. exactly. I think this answers it. Um, this is from 1 John. He says in verse 3 of chapter 2, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. <laughs> <laughs> By this we know we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. And it's By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same way as he walked. Yeah. Fruits of the Spirit. But then he, but then at the same time, we get like, that's impossible. But he also says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is yes. the propitiation yeah. for our sins. That's the so, thing. God is like, it's also reframing your perspective. God's not trying to look at your life and be like, I'm going to catch you doing wrong, but right. you're wrong. No, he is a God yeah. of love. We actually were talking about this yesterday, Justin and I, about in Christ alone and the line on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And we were talking about that line, and we are like, eh, okay. I know why Passion got rid of it. But Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there was a, a move in f- for a while where they people, and I, lo- I love this line, they wanted to change it to the love of God was magnified. Just so specifically with that point, that the issue is not that God has wrath towards sin, but the issue with that song particularly is God punishing Jesus. Yes. And that's where the, the, the tension and the When debate, Paul talks about wrath, he's directing it at, at evil. Sin. Yeah, at sin, that, that, what, that Jesus took on himself. He wasn't but punished. Jesus was in the line of fire. Right, but Jesus yes. wasn't being punished well, by God. Punished. Right. And that's the... Right. That's the debate. So the language of First John, what you see in John, that he's, he's, he makes this claim where it's like, you better be doing what Jesus had to be doing. Then he's like, what if you sin? I think it's kind of the general, the whole purpose of the law was wisdom, right? Yeah. The language is supposed to like jostle you out of complacency. Right. 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 And it's like supposed to give you a framework mm-hmm. for like, uh, you know how you'll know? You're 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 living in alignment with yep. what Jesus did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Well, I think that that'll wrap up here this first Roast and Grind episode. If you guys have more questions, shoot them to us. And if, if it doesn't matter if it's old, if it's about episode, you know, one, whatever, like shoot them to us. If you're listening to this three years down the road, we'll still go back and talk about it if we're alive. Uh, That's morbid. <laughs> That's morbid. We'll still go back and talk about it. So anytime you have a question, and maybe if it's not something that we've talked about, but you want to hear us brew over, We'll talk about it. We will roast it over and grind it through to try and get those best flavor profiles. Again, like we've said a lot before, this is not we necessarily have the answers to your questions as much as we are responding to and we're discussing them. 
and uh, we're kind of working it out together with you guys. So I think that that'll wrap up this first Roast to Grind episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys want to submit questions, email us at info at thegoodbrewpodcast.com. Send us messages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, on our website, whichever way or method that you prefer. You know, because it's a special episode, Philip, tell us bye. We will see you later. Bye, guys. <laughs>